Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. Good morning. It is March 13th, 2022. I'm Bloy Solson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO, the weekly show about insiders and insight into Minnesota politics. I appreciate you listening. You know, things are getting messy early. I keep saying this. It's only March, but I turned 50 this week. And so I, I try to, you know, reflect. And I would say that the first district race is getting very complex. We're going to talk to Brad Finstead. He's one of the leading Republicans in that race. And one of the things to watch for in this next week is if Jennifer Carnahan gets into that race. Uh, the primary will be in late May. And if somebody doesn't win the primary, they can still go back and run for the legislature. So you might still see more people jump into the race. Then you look at Minneapolis. We've talked about it a lot. Last week, we talked to Representative Ilan Omar. And this week, Don Samuels, longtime Minneapolis activist, said he's going to challenge her. We'll talk to Don Samuels. And then the legislature. We're only about a third of the way through, and they're already sending letters to each other. The deal-making is not going well on some pretty easy but important issues. We'll talk to Nick Sprentz. He's a senator from North Mankato. He is in leadership. He can tell you how he thinks this might get done. Coming up next, first cup of coffee on Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The first cup of coffee this Sunday morning is with Brad Finstad. Uh, Full disclosure uh, on this 
spirit of transparency, Brad and I have known each other a really long time. And in fact, when he was the uh, leader of the Center for Rural Policy, uh, he was a client and partner of Fluence Media. So I always want to get that out of the way, but you know, we'll call balls and strikes as the race goes on. But I'm happy to have Brad join me this morning for Sunday Take. Brad, thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me, boys. So um, I've known you a long time. You were in the legislature. You've been in a couple different leadership roles over time. You served uh, the USDA in economic development in the Trump administration. Why run for the first district now? And uh, and what are the what's the fire in the belly telling you about why you would want to go to Washington? Yeah, so great question. And, uh, you know, really it comes down to just simple Southern Minnesota values. I, you know, I look at my family, my, my wife and I are blessed with seven children. And I look at my family and, you know, thinking about their future and, and the future of families all over the first. And I, I just keep going back to some of this like Southern Minnesota advice that my grandfather taught me. And, you know, we, we should always strive to leave whatever we're doing better than we found it. And I just feel like from a, from a government, from a democracy, from, from a country, I just, I just don't feel in my gut that we're doing our best here for the future generations. And it's kind of like, uh, you know, when you have that bug for service or that instinct for service, if you see a house on fire, you got to run towards it and try to put it out. So I just feel like, you know, the time is right for me to bring some of those Southern Minnesota values and, and conservative uh, upbringing and and leadership skills to the table and try to really help turn some of these challenges around. You know, you, you talk about if the house is burning, you got to run and put water on it. Congress isn't exactly burning, but it's not necessarily functional uh, all the time either. Is there anything that you think you bring to Congress differently or an approach, whether it's from representative Hagedorn's legacy or the way representative walls now governor walls, uh, represent the district that is is unique to you as a candidate yeah so you know obviously uh watching the way the southern minnesota has been represented over the years and seeing the different styles i mean i guess my style is very southern minnesota strong in my convictions strong in my conservative principles but also someone that can work with folks my track record has been one of you know staying strong and drawing the line on on the uh, conservative principles that I believe in, but do it in a way where you can still be agreeable. You can still be friendly. You can still work with folks. My style is no different than the style that I think runs townships in Southern Minnesota, that runs school boards, that runs uh, church boards. Uh, You know, not everyone's going to agree on things, but at the end of the day, if your heart's in the right place, if your focus is in the right place and you treat other people with, you know, just basic good humanity and and goodwill, uh, it can go a long ways. And, uh, you know, my track record, of, I, I've proven that, that that is a leadership style that works. Uh, and it spans my, my career uh, in the public sector, or the private sector. And I just think that's, you know, very just Southern Minnesota. My guest is Brad Finstead here on Sunday Take. He's a candidate in the first congressional district. He's a Republican. Brad, the the race has gotten really crowded. There's a lot of candidates and, you know, we don't need to explain how the special election versus the primary versus the general is going to work right now. But um, as you look at that differentiation, you know, different alliances are going to be important. What are the issues that you think are at the forefront of the first district that give you the ability to build a winning 
you know, kind of coalition in a, in a very crowded race that at minimum, we're going to have four or five candidates probably at the end of the day on the Republican side. Yeah. So as I've been traveling and talking to folks, uh, not just the last few weeks, but you know, the last years, um, the last few years here, crippling inflation and, and just, you, you know, you can't go anywhere and, and not talk to people about the gas prices and the, the increase in food costs and the input costs for overall uh, just production, whether it's agriculture or small business, the su- supply chain uh, disruptions that we've seen. So that, that's heavy on people's minds. Uh, the American energy independence, I mean, obviously, in light of the uh, unrest in the world right now, um, we're asking a lot of those questions of, you know, does it make sense for us to be so reliant on, uh, on folks uh, across the globe that maybe don't have our best interests in mind when it comes to our energy uh, sources? Um, and then, you know, you just kind of go down the line of what you hear that the overarching government overreach and the mandates with COVID and, and how that's all played out. So, you know, these are the issues that are on people's minds right now. And, um, you know, when it, when, you come, when it comes to the primary and, and the, the crowded field, I mean, I would just say that experience matters, results matter. Um, you know, a lot of people can talk about these issues and be angry about them and, and obviously, you know, rile people up. But at the end of the day, it's, it's w- what are you going to do and how are we going to fix these things? How are we going to work towards solutions? And so, you know, if you look at some, some of these issues and you kind of drill down on it, uh, you know what, let's just say the uh, American energy independence, the American, you know, I, I think we should promote more of a America first energy plan. And if we look at Southern Minnesota, I mean, we have energy producers left and right, corn and soybean farmers, biodiesel, ethanol, and, and uh, you know, different sources that could be a part of that conversation. So it's, again, what, what have we, or what has, what has a candidate done over their career to work with those folks to help bring them to the table and, and to be part of these solutions, uh, not just talking about it and being mad about it, but truly digging in and, and representing the district in a way that delivers results. As we wrap here, you bring up, obviously, uh, soy, diesel, energy independence. Agriculture is a big part of the district. Earlier this week, ranking member of the Agriculture Committee in Washington endorsed your candidacy. There's ag and then there's, you know, obviously the Mayo Clinic, which is a huge economic engine for the district uh, and, you know, is is kind of this shining light, but caught in kind of the controversy around COVID, whether it's mandates or things like that. How do you balance that going forward or is there is it just time to move forward with relation to to Mayo Clinic and uh, and some of the kind of ways in which they got caught up in the COVID? the COVID controversies? Well, there's a certain amount of, of those things that they're going to have to work through themselves. But I would say as a district and as Southern Minnesota as a whole, healthcare obviously is on people's minds and it's important economic driver, whether it's from job producing or just the overall need to keep a vibrant system in place for, for, the, for the needs of, of Southern Minnesota. So, I mean, it, it can't be an all or nothing approach. I mean, I think it has to be everything. The, the diversity and uh, uniqueness of Southern Minnesota is is what makes Southern Minnesota awesome, whether it's the agriculture, small business, uh, transportation sector, manufacturing sector, or the healthcare sector. So again, it's going to take someone that understands that the economy is driven by a lot of different levers and to uh, know the folks in those fields and, and be willing to work with those folks, but also, uh, you know, just really trying to grasp and understand how you can take that into Congress and then deliver results that 
are meaningful for the district. And that's really my approach. Our guest has been Brad Finstead. He's a Republican running for Congress in the first district amongst a crowded field. Next up on Sunday take is Don Samuels. He's challenging Ilhan Omar. And we're going to talk to him next. I'm Blois Olson. This is Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. Joining me for the second cup of coffee uh, this Sunday morning is Don Samuels. His name is not new to many of us. Uh, he's a former Minneapolis City Council member. He's run for mayor. He's been on, around. He's been really a vocal advocate for policing in North Minneapolis. And then this week, uh, he announced uh, that he's going to run for Congress. He's going to challenge Ilhan Omar in Minnesota's 5th Congressional District, and he joins me now. Thanks for joining me, Don. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me, boss. No problem. So you've been around. Uh, you know what it takes to run a campaign. You aren't naive. Why now? Why the 5th Congressional District? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm running... Uh, in the 5th Congressional District, of course, because this is where I live. And I live in the most vulnerable part of the 5th Congressional District. And uh, when uh, mistakes are made or uh, services not um, uh, fulsome, the, my part of the world feels it first and worst. And um, in all of the issues around public safety and uh, economic development, yeah, we we hurt here. Uh, when the country hurts, we hurt most. And um, so, yeah. Now when you say when you just say my my part, uh, you're talking about the north side of Minneapolis, I presume. Yeah, I'm talking about especially parts of the north Minneapolis, like where I live, which are never recovered from the '60s, are still in um, in distress and. Uh, and my wife and I moved here because um, this is where we could be most useful. This is where we felt uh, America needs to heal. We're Americans, and uh, we're human, and this is where our humanity brought us. And uh, so we're, I believe we need a, a different kind of leadership, a leadership that is uh, connected to the community and has a finger on the pulse, uh, doesn't make decisions that are incompatible with the community, that is compassionate, that uh, cares about uh, the, the issues that hurt people, that, uh, that cause discomfort. And, and then I, I have a kind of a style, I think we need the kind of leadership that is collaborative, that, um, that uh, knows how to work across the, a difference, and knows how to cooperate and uh, not to blame and shame, not to be dramatic, but to be a patient and insistent, but collaborative. And so um, this is a time that I believe we need that most when we're divided across uh, uh, parties. We are divided inside of our parties. We have key members making con- contrarian uh, choices at a time when we need consensus. Um, yeah. So that's, you know, that these are the, some of the reasons I'm running. And I believe that my style is all of these things that uh, connected, compassionate and collaborative that can help us make real progress for the country. So you you bring up kind of the divide within the Democratic Party. Obviously, this is a DFL primary. How do you delineate 
not just where the issues are that divide, but how the party or you as a candidate need to highlight these issues. You said public safety, Mm -hmm. obviously, and you said economic development. Mm-hmm. Within the party and within the 5th District, which is more than just Minneapolis, even though Minneapolis is the majority of the population, what specifically are the differences as to what you could do in Congress to help the district versus Representative Omar? All right. So, you know, <laughs> uh, you said earlier that I am uh, supportive of the police or um, um, some, some people are opposed to the police. I think we, when you lead from a step back, when you lead, you don't pick an issue, pick a side. You, you, you pick a priority. You, you, you don't pick a side. And so, for instance, with the police, you don't pick a police or anti-police. You pick safety. You pick a concern for the livability, the quality of life of the community. And in so doing, what, what the components then have to serve that. So police have to say, serve that. Yep. So for instance, if you take police all away, right, and you, or you vote against the, uh, the, the, the January 6th bill that would uh, reinforce the Capitol um, because you hate police and the fund, some of that money would go to augment the, the, the uh, Washington, uh, the Capitol police, you start to you start to bifurcate and yeah. create, but we have to see the big picture. It's safety. You know, this is like right at the bottom of Maslow's hierarchy of need. Everybody needs to be safe, to be productive, to be thoughtful, uh, to be healthy. And so you say, okay, safety. Now, what do we need to do to be safe? And when you have that leadership lens, rather than um, being projected forward by interest groups and then being dedicated to them and their singular issues, um, then you can make thoughtful solutions uh, in a collaborative and, um, and um, interactive way with your peers. Congress is one of those places that anybody who watches politics understands that it's a challenge to get anything done there. Um, there's a chance that Democrats aren't in the majority if you're successful. Mm-hmm. How do you envision kind of, if you win, going to Washington and making an impact for the 5th District or on issues if you're in the minority? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, uh, p- people in Washington are not talking to each other. And right. one of my intentions is to spend 15 minutes a day finding a, a congressperson somewhere and get to know them a little bit. You know, find out how many kids, that, where they live, how many kids they have, what they do for fun. What they, I think we, we need to get to know each other a little bit. People are showing up at tables without any relationship with each other before they meet. And, and let me tell you, even on the ground here, you know, part of our, our problem is you have police officers showing up with people on the street that they never met or never met that type of person or that background person till the day they answer a police call. <laughs> it, it, that leads to all kind of prejudices, misconceptions, uh, and, and guardedness. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's destroying the healthy intercourse that will allow uh, the, the healthy discussion of policy. Got it. So I, I know it's all about relationships, 
and not shaming people or blaming people. And then everybody kind of digs, digs in and uh, no progress is made. When have you, uh, you know, you've been a leader in the community. Have you interacted with Representative Omar? How has that gone? Is there any relationship there? Um, and I just, I wonder because, um, you know, you're a leader in the community. She's the member of Congress. And I wonder if there's any relationship between the two of you that, you know, kind of sparked this idea that you would challenge her. Um, it's not about the relationship again. You know, I'm, it's not personal. Okay. Yeah, it's an, in personal in any way. She has never offended me, um, ab- abused me. <laughs> <laughs> I've just watched the leadership we have, which is, I believe is not appropriate or useful to the time. This, is, this time is the most rancorous time internationally. And then nationally, and having had Trump as our president, and then locally, we're fighting about issues. So, uh, so you can see that it's not just about issues. Are we talking about the right issues? It's are we the right people talking about the issues? Yeah. Do we have the right people talking about the issues? And when you have someone who is constantly outside the bubble of unity, Almost as if differentiation is the agenda, mm-hmm. whether it be on Russian um, uh, uh, consequences yep. or whether it be on um, the, the 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 guy who was um, the the Rwandan guy who who received the Presidential Medal of Honor and is now arrested yep. and prison of war, or, or whether it be January sixth funding. Yeah, um, for for security, our congressperson is always on the outside of the unity, making a statement. Okay. Some people go to Washington to make a point. I'm going to Washington to make progress. Got it. As we wrap here, I'm talking to Don Samuels. He's a longtime Minneapolis leader. You know, the fifth district includes St. Louis Park, parts of Edina, uh, Golden Valley. How do you plan to connect to those parts of the district? Um, and what have you heard from those parts of the district about, you know, what their priorities are from their member of Congress? Yeah, well, you know, let me say that I live in the most challenged part of the city, but I could live in Edina. I could live in any of the places you talked about very, very comfortably. These are the kind of people I worked with when I was working. (laughs) These are the kind of people who have the kind of income, and quite frankly, that I have. So I, I, I'm, I, I'm a, I, a very flexible uh, person. I consider all human beings uh, my fellow human beings, my neighbors. Don't have to be physical. And um, in fact, when we had the Healing Our City, we had people from all faith, Buddhist, uh, 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 Jewish, Muslim, and all the denominations, uh, I think part of leadership is bringing people together. Got it. And people understanding each other across difference. That's leadership. Got it. Don Samuels is my guest. Sunday take. As we continue to watch this race, I'm sure we'll have more here on News Talk 830 WCCO. Don, thanks for joining me today. You're welcome. It's great to be with you. When we come back, what 
is it with these congressional seats after redistricting the mood of the country that we need to understand because they've gotten much more contentious and uh, maybe not electorally competitive, but they're certainly crowded. I'm Blaise Olson. You're listening to Sunday Take on News Talk 830 WCCO. The final conversation this Sunday morning is with Senator Nick Frentz. He's from the Mankato area. He's in leadership for the DFL in the Senate. And I want to catch up on where we're at in this legislative session because it seems to be getting complicated earlier than usual. Senator Frentz, thanks for joining me. Hey, Blois, thanks for having me on. So, you know, obviously, legislature, House, Senate, DFL, Republican, has been working on frontline worker pay since last summer and fall. And now we have this unemployment insurance trust fund issue that was kind of in agreement at the very beginning of the session that we thought this would be easy. And then this week, things got complicated, both from the federal government standpoint, but from the politics. As we sit here on Sunday, uh, where are you, where do you think this issue, those two issues are and how do they get resolved and do they get resolved quickly? A, I do think they get resolved. B, I think it's 50-50 that it gets resolved quickly. And what I see is compromise. Most of what we hear from Minnesotans is go up there and get your job done. And I think when you have a governor, a House, and a Senate, they don't all three line up all the time. I know some examples where the House and the governor line up and the Senate doesn't agree. And I think it requires all three to say, all right, we'll give a little bit. As you know, on the frontline worker pay, there's still some disagreements about the definition of who's eligible for those payments. Yep. The DFL definition includes over 600,000 Minnesotans. I like that definition. And of course, there's disagreement on what the total amount of money should be allocated to those frontline or hero workers. We agreed to $250 million last year, still have not been able to give that out. And the amount now is a billion. As for the unemployment insurance trust fund, I think that smart policy, as you know, the Senate passed it with 55 votes, the governor's in favor. And I just think that's a sign that that side has a little more leverage in what I hope is the eventual compromise. One of the things that I think listeners would like to understand is we see press releases, we see letters, we see news stories. What are the conversations like amongst you and your colleagues, for instance, on frontline worker pay? When you talk to a Republican that doesn't seem to want to move on that, why don't they want to move? And what do you try to tell them to convince them to move? Well, one of the things we see all the time at the legislature is the question of leverage who's going to, quote, win the negotiation. And on frontline worker pay, what we've heard is two things. They want to use a different definition. I think we want to make as many Minnesotans feel respected and appreciated in that group. And just for your listeners, the frontline or hero workers is generally described as the group of Minnesotans that did not have the opportunity to stay home, had to go to the hospital or to the work as a cop or work as a long-term care facility. So what I hear is, well, um, you know, we don't agree with this or that position. And my answer to that is, look, people want us to get it worked out. Let's compromise. We'll give you this, you give us this, and both sides will be able to say they did something good. And I still think that's the basic message we get from our constituents by phone call, email, and in person. One of the other issues with frontline worker pay is this expanding definition 
And we're now, you know, that far away from the pandemic. Is it still other than interest groups, unions, folks like that? Do you still hear about this issue very often? I hear some. Yeah, I think I hear some. And of course, if you're in that group where it's been a tough couple of years and you had to go to work in person and you see legislators arguing about how much you should be compensated and how important you are, it's impossible not to say, what, you mean I'm not important? Or I don't count as much as this other group? And so I think there are some Minnesotans watching it. I also think the prevailing sentiment I hear from my district is um, let's get this done. That includes our businesses. You know, we have a lot of small business owners in all the districts who would like to know that that unemployment rate increase is not going to hit them. Well, that was my next question is on that particular issue. It looks like the house is, you know, pretty dug in. They don't want to go that direction without some other, you know, compromise or some other spending, whether it's frontline worker pay, safe and sick leave, they've got a a hearing scheduled tomorrow and safe and sick leave. Um, When you talk to housemates down by you, where where do they kind of, is this all about bigger politics? And, And the reason I'm curious about it this week is because it's March. We got to get to May. You got bonding bill. You got maybe a supplemental budget. There's some other bigger issues. And I feel like if, if it's this complicated this early, the idea of finishing on time early or even getting anything done, I think starts to feel like it's an election year. Let's just throw it all to the voters. As usual, Blois, I think you got a good instinct for these things. Yeah, it's starting to make some of us in my neck of the woods a little nervous that compromise looks a little tougher to reach. Again, most of what we hear from our constituents is go up there, get it figured out, get stuff done. The huge sigh of relief that Minnesotans would breathe if we found a deal on frontline worker pay and unemployment insurance trust fund would be massive. That's, I think, the number one motivation for both sides of the aisle is, you know, everybody be happy if we found a deal. And into that, I would say, if we're not able to find a deal on this, to Blois's point, Uh, raises some questions about whether we can find agreement on the rest of it. And with a $9 billion surplus, I think the drumbeat's going to get louder and louder where people are going to start saying, why can't you get stuff done? Well, and that's just it. And, and, you know, look, the the winds blow different ways in different years electorally. This year, there's headwinds with, you know, a president uh, in the White House that's a Democrat and midterms are always tough for Democrats. You're from Mankato. We have listeners in Mankato. We have listeners all over the state, but sometimes those of us who live in the cities don't get out much. What do people, what are the issues in Mankato that you think are going to decide either legislative races or the, you know, even, you know, Tim Walls is from Mankato. How popular is Tim Walls in Mankato? And is he, is he as popular as he was four years ago? Yeah, well, first of all, before I get in trouble with my neighborhood, I live in North Mankato, but represent the district that has them all. So yes, yes, me. yes. I know. I'm sorry. I, you know, I make that mistake all the time. It's like when people, I tell people I'm from Shoreview and they say Shorewood. So I, I, Senator, I understand it. And I know you're from posh North Mankato. So I'll let you make sure that your neighbors uh, haven't thought you annexed back into Mankato. No, I appreciate that. Uh, Your question is a good one in that I think our area represents 
some of what Minnesota is about. My district is truly rural in parts, truly suburban in parts, and truly urban in parts. And I think a few things are at the top of their list. Number one, public safety. They would like to have a signal that the people in St. Paul want to keep them safe. Number two, the cost of daily living. Child care, health care, housing, energy costs are up. Um, agriculture dominates Southern Minnesota and our economy. We want to protect stability on the farm. That includes some drought relief that we're working on. And some of the basics, you know, people want to have taxes be manageable. And when they see a $9 billion surplus, I think they want to get some of that back. And I'm a supporter of that, either the form of direct rebates, uh, temporary or longer term tax relief. And that's what we hear about. And I want to add, Blois, since you brought in the Mankato area, I really do think it's typical in this way of greater Minnesota. They don't like to hear, I won't compromise. I've door knocked thousands of doors in our district. Not once did a voter say to me, now go up to St. Paul and make sure don't get a deal. Don't get something done. And I think that practicality is, uh, you know, very common in greater Minnesota and kind of proud of it. Uh, when you... You brought up energy and uh, and energy costs. You and I are going to be on a panel with the Rural Electric Association on Tuesday. I'm going to try to keep you all in line and ask you some smart questions, which will be a challenge. But energy costs are going to be a big thing, but they're not. I mean, we're talking a lot about gas prices, but just in general, the inflation cost of everything's going up. What I mean, there's a lot of pressure that the idea is that, you know, alternatives, renewables are part of the driver, how tough can Democrats stick to their guns on kind of the mandates going forward if energy uh, rates remain high? Well, first of all, I think the immediate energy cost that a lot of people are seeing comes from the price spike that we felt in Texas a year ago. And as you know, the Public Utilities Commission in public testimony actually said we're advocating for direct ratepayer relief. Folks, if your electric or natural gas bill went up, I think the state of Minnesota should use part of the surplus to help take the bite out of that. To your question about renewables, we have an escalating urgency on climate change. I wish that wasn't true. I'd be happy to find out that we were more wrong on that, but I think it's true. And you're watching evidence tumble in from all over the country. So we have to move to decarbonize. Having said that, Reliability and cost are just as important to everyday Minnesotans' lives as they were a year ago, as they were 10 years ago, and as they're going to be in 10 years. So it's tough to balance. What I'm asking as the ranking member of the Senate Energy and Utilities Committee is, let's establish how much we're going to decarbonize in the next 10 years or 20 years, what have you. Let's get an agreement on what our, our goal is. We'll find a way to get there. We're Americans. We innovate. We come together when we need to. And I really think we can do it and serve all three of those goals, decarbonizing price and affordability. Senator Nick Francis, my guest, final question uh, to the Senator from uh, North Mankato who represents the Mankato area. Um, the, the spectrum of ideology within the DFL caucus is broad. Just give us a little glimpse on how you work with those who are very much more progressive than you or how you guys kind of talk through some of these issues when they're tense and you're in the minority and you're trying to win some new sentences to try to not be in the minority anymore? Yeah, that's a great question. First of all, 
we have to act like we are all in this together. And I don't just mean Democrats and Republicans, I mean Minnesotans. So one Minnesota is our mantra. And I think for the progressive wing, my brothers and sisters from those districts, I love and respect what they're saying. But you need a collective strategy that works for all Minnesotans. And it has to make sense across the state or you can't look the people of Minnesota in the eye with a straight face and say, please put us in the majority. An example of that would be energy policy. Another example would be public safety. And your question is, how do we do it? I'll point to the House of Representatives in Washington, D.C., where they have a progressive caucus and they you know, have to make deals that work. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But if you want a governing majority, if you want the people to say that party should be in charge, and if you want to pass legislation that counts, you have to take into account every viewpoint from North Minneapolis to North Mankato. And if you don't, then you won't be given the privilege by the voters to work it out. And I'll just give you one example. Um, it's no secret that I think greater Minnesotans are more interested in support and respect for police and public safety. Uh, that comes from some of the continuity. Some of these families have lived on this land for over 100 years. Uh, we have to find a way to respect some of the challenges, for example, in the city of Minneapolis in the ways they hope to build trust and respect and improve policing and not do anything that signals any disapproval or lack of respect, not only for police officers, but their families and the people that support them all across the state. If you can find that uh, mix, then I think you've, you've showed an example of how you can work together. And uh, as they like, you know, like to say, um, the proof is at the ballot box. So if we want to do that, we're going to have to go to our candidates that are hoping to join us in the Senate and say, this is what we stand for. The DFL is for working men and women. And at the end of the day, we have to respond to what working men and women want. Senator Nick friends. Thanks for joining me when it's Sunday at nine on WCCO it's politics and Sunday take this week. We had two of the uh, folks from Southern Minnesota. Maybe next week we'll go to Northern Minnesota. I'm Blois Olson on news talk, eight three Oh WCCO. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 